drive time now. Welcome to Tribe Talk on the Cleveland Indians Radio Network. Tribe Talk is brought to you by Progressive, helping Indians fans save hundreds on car insurance. Baseball Writers Association of America will announce the results of voting for the Baseball Hall of Fame class of 2021. Due to a combination of factors, there is a possibility that no new members will be elected to the Hall this year. Paul Hoynes, longtime Indians beat reporter for the Cleveland Plain Dealer and Cleveland.com, says a big part of the challenge is what to do regarding those players alleged to have used performance-enhancing drugs. Yeah, I, I do not vote for those guys, uh, Rosie. I, I, I never have. And uh, I know, uh, you know, you know it's, hard, it's hard to uh, have a Hall of Fame without Clemens and Bonds in. You know, Clemens, probably one of the best, maybe the best pitcher, one of the best pitchers in history. And, and Bonds certainly, what, a seven-time MVP. But, you know, I... Those guys, you know, I, I, I don't buy the argument that those guys were Hall of Famers before they started using, allegedly using, because, I mean, if you, okay, if you were that great then, why? Why why do it? You know, why start? I mean, you're already in, and it just, it, it always drove me crazy. And uh, 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 a guy like Manny Ramirez, you know, I, you know, I love Manny. I covered him, um, you know, all the way through his career in Cleveland thought he was the best right-handed hitter I've ever seen but that was a guy that tested at least positive twice so you know he you know it's hard to even you know the other guys you know you really have no definitive proof you know they never there was never a positive test because they weren't tested then you know I, I just that that's that's you know that's the way I, I look at it uh, you know and, and sometimes you just have to think if it, if it looks like a duck and quacks like a duck it's a duck you know We'll have much more from Hoinsey on the Hall of Fame vote in the second half hour of our show today. I'm Jim Rosenhouse, and this is Tribe Talk, presented by Progressive. Not only will we talk about the annual Hall of Fame voting results to be announced next week, but I'll conclude our show with thoughts on two great Hall of Famers who passed away this week, pitcher Don Sutton and the great Hank Aaron. But first, we take a break, and when we return, we'll meet the two newest Cleveland Indians, infielders Andres Jimenez and Ahmed Rosario. That's coming up on the Cleveland Clinic Indians Radio Network. Yeah, sure, the players bring some skill to the game, but if I don't put them in my lineup, who cares? Not me. I'm Eric Rubino, fantasy baseball GM and league runner-up two of the last nine years. I use the progressive Name Your Price tool with options based on my budget. And for a guy that's used to being in control, it fits. Like this runner-up t-shirt. Champ gets a trophy, but you can't wear a trophy. Boom. Get options based on your budget with Progressive, even if you're not a legend in your own mind. 
Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to Tribe Talk, presented by Progressive. Jim Rosenhouse back with you as we continue our hot stove shows during the baseball offseason. And as the Indians prepare for spring training, hopefully to begin in less than a month, still nothing official, they do so with an anticipated new middle infield. As you most assuredly know by now, star shortstop Francisco Lindor was traded along with pitcher Carlos Carrasco earlier this month to the Mets. In return, the Indians received two young major league pieces in infielders Ahmed Rosario and Andres Jimenez, along with two prospects. Now, Rosario and Jimenez met with the Cleveland media earlier this week, and both said they're excited to start a new chapter in their respective careers with the Tribe. As we listen into these interviews, bear in mind, both felt more comfortable speaking mainly Spanish and having the questions translated by that fine Indians translator, Augie Rivero, and thanks as always going out to Augie for his help. And big props to Brian Matze for his editing work to make the interviews run smoothly for your listening ears. Now we begin with Ahmed Rosario. Rosario just completed his fourth season primarily in the major leagues with the Mets. He's played more than 400 career games in New York as the club's primary shortstop, signed back in 2012 out of the Dominican Republic. His best season came in 2019 when he hit 287 with 15 home runs and 72 runs driven in. And like many, this past year was a struggle for Rosario, the the truncated spring training, then break, and then a 60-game regular season. So he never really did get going this season. But he says he was surprised by the trade, but also excited as far as what's to come with the Indians. Um, I mean, obviously at the time it was a, a, a little bit of a big shock. Right. Um, I sort of like froze when I heard the news. I was just having lunch when I heard information. So, yeah, but after that, it's been it's been a great process. Um, very happy to be here. I've been able to get to connect with different people from the team. And as a matter of fact, I'm working out at the Dominican complex and it's really good. I get to meet a lot of people with stuff here in the DR and, and so far so good. Matt, how uh, difficult was last season and what would you compare? I mean, obviously, your numbers are very different from 19 to 20. And do you feel like the player you were in 19 was more of who you are as a player? Um, more than difficult, I would call it different. You know, it's a very different season for everybody. There's a lot of challenges for for all baseball players as a, as a whole. I think, you know, uh, the closest uh, as a player that, was, that, that I, I think I am is closest to the version that I show in 19. Um, you know, it just it wasn't enough time to develop and get to that um timing that you normally get in a long full season what do you feel is your uh, your best position or the position that you feel like you're the most comfortable in I've been a shortstop my whole career. Um, I've never been in other positions. Like, you know, 19, I had to help in the left field, but that was for one game. And at AAA, I played a couple of games at third base, but I consider myself a shortstop. However, I know I'm here to help the team, and, and I know I'm, I'm happy to help them any way I can. Ahmed, have they told you where you where they want you to play? Have they given you an idea? Are, have they told you you're going to be the shortstop? Or... 
Have, have they told you something else? No, no, at the moment, no se me ha dicho nada. Yo um, no, nothing in that regard. Um, I'm still practicing on shortstop. Nothing, no communication has happened yet, but I'm sure it will happen at some point um, in spring training. What do you know about the city of Cleveland? Nada. <laughs> nothing. It's cold. <laughs> it's very cold. <laughs> what do you think of the uh, Dominican complex and, and how nice is that for you to be able to, to have that and start to meet people in the organization even before spring training comes around? Bueno, tremendo trabajo. Creo que el trabajo que han hecho, la construcción y todo eso. I mean, it's, it's a tr tremendous complex. I mean, the buildings are unbelievable. Uh, most importantly, it's very comfortable for you to practice. And especially for me, that is only 20 minutes away from my home. So I can easily get there every day in practice. Um, I haven't had the chance to meet that many people there yet. I, I for what I heard, stop is going to be rejoining tomorrow. So I, I just only had the chance to meet two or three people there. But so far, it's been, it's been great, good communication, good dynamics. And, and the important is that we're getting along and and you know, to get to get keep it going in this direction. Ahmad, do you do you feel any uh, extra pressure coming over in a trade involving Lindor, uh, who was basically the face of the franchise in Cleveland? No, 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 realmente. Al contrario, me siento. Um, not really. I mean, to be honest, uh, what the feeling that I get from from being involved in that type of transaction is just you know being happy and really proud as a player. Uh, it talks a lot of the value that the organization has for you, and, and at the same time, you know, it becomes more reasons for me to play the game the way how I do it, which is just play the game and have fun. So for me, it's no pressure at all. What what kind of player? How would you describe uh, Jimenez to us? How what kind of player is he for the guys who haven't for the people who haven't seen him much? Bueno, te puedo decir un jugador que tiene. Um, I think he's a player with a lot of good qualities. Um, you know, he can do all different things in the, in the ball, in the baseball field. He can do you know, like he do home runs and doubles and, and steal bases, but also play a great defense. Um, I get the chance to meet him for a couple of years, and he's a great person as well. So I think it's a really exciting to having him in Cleveland. Who is his favorite player growing up, and who does who does his game or who does he try to mold his game after, maybe? I grew up idolizing Jose Reyes, um, and I was fortunate enough to play alongside him. So I think it was it was a great opportunity to just you know, admire him going through, basically because of his energy and the way how he played the game, and he always played hard. But also, when I got to meet him as a person, as a great human being, I think his you know the full the whole package for me as a as a person that I admire as a baseball player. I mean, are you familiar with anybody on the current Indians roster? Either maybe play with them in the minor leagues or major leagues, or or maybe just friends with back home. Bueno, nada más conozco así a Framil y fue cuando él estaba en San Diego. I don't have any like a long-lasting relationship with any of the players. I just have some communications with them through the years, and some of them are Regis. When we play in AAA, I face him when he was in San Diego. And with Ramirez, when we play on 19, but um, nothing beyond that. Now, Ahmed Rosario's potential double play partner, and potential is important here because the roster and position battles will evolve throughout spring training and maybe even on into the regular season. But uh, the potential is there for his former teammate with the Mets, 22-year-old Andres Jimenez, to be a part of that infield as well. And Jimenez certainly is an intriguing story. Reached the major leagues last year for the first time, still at just the age of 22, and ended up playing 
On a fairly regular basis, made 22 starts at shortstop down the stretch for New York, hit 263 with three homers and a dozen runs driven in. He's been a, a perennial top prospect in the Mets organization, and he says he too was surprised by the trade. Um, when I received the call, I was a little shocked. Um, I was just surprised, um, but I think it's a, it's a trade for the good, for the better. Um, it's going to be really positive, and I'm and embracing it with that mindset. That's going to be something positive for me. Andres, what was it like making your debut last year, but in such a weird year? No fans and everything was a little bit different. I mean, it is, without a doubt, it was weird, right? It was a, it was a weird, it wasn't like exactly the same sensation that I'm used to when I was getting the baseball field. But, you know, for me, it was an exciting moment. I was, you know, fulfilling a, a dream. I was excited to be there. But, you know, without the fans, it, it definitely makes a big difference. You played second and shortstop last year as a rookie. What, what position do you feel most comfortable at? Normally I feel more comfortable in shortstop because that's what I played before, but I work hard, especially in the offseason, to be able to defend all the positions in the infield and, and, and be able to do a good job in any of them. You're from, are you from the same hometown as Carlos Carrasco? And yeah. did you, do you know him? Have you met him before? No, I don't, I don't know him exactly, but I know that he's from my, from my hometown, so he's an honor. Who was your favorite player growing up, or who did you want to emulate as you came up through the minors? My idols uh, are two, so Vizquel is one, and uh, Carlos Gonzalez is the other one. So when I was a kid, I want to be like them, and here we are. You're still a kid, though, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> 22. It's okay. Do you take any pressure um, from being in a trade with somebody with Lindor's name? involved no i'm not gonna say pressure i'm gonna say like a privilege and honor and a motivation for me you know being distray and get a be on a new team is just a you know mo mo just motivation for me to every day get my work my work hard and uh, get better every day and have the team to win in that odd season that was last year making your big league debut did you learn anything about yourself or did you, you know, was anything about the game different than maybe what you dealt with in the minors? You know, definitely. There's is a game that is a lot uh, more developed. It's a more it's like strategy based. Uh, obviously, the game gets a lot faster on you. Um, and you're facing the best of the best, right? Um, but in my opinion, I think I learned a lot, not only of the league, but about myself, uh, myself as a player. And I'm happy to put that in practice for the upcoming seasons. If you could talk to the fans, what kind of player are, are they getting in you? Um, I'm going to try in English. So I describe myself like a player who played the, the game in the right way. Uh, every, team, every day that he's, he's going off the field, on the field, he's going to give to the game the 100% and help the team the, to win, to get a victory in that day. And uh, that, I think that that's... That's the most important. I want to help the team to win and uh, be a good player there. Andres, what, how big a part is, is speed of, of your game? It's one of, one of the most, most important tools in my repertoire. Um, that's what I try to keep it 100% in the offseason because, you know, like, that never fails. My speed can be the big difference on an important game at any time. 
Andres, you, you look at reaching the major leagues at such a young age, and a lot of times that, that's as much mental as physical. Is there a coach or a family member or, or just the way you were brought up in the game that, that allowed you to, to be able to make it and, and deal with some of the things that you have to to, to reach the major leagues? As you know, in Venezuela, like, I will say it's kind of like a pressure to grow up a lot faster into the game, to mature and understand the game a lot faster than in other places. So I think, you know, playing there, it helped me learn as, uh, on the way as, as I went to, to play the, the game better. But I also give credit to my family. I think 100% relies on them and the support and, and uh, the help they gave me along the way to just maintain and stay focused on my preparation and my dedication to play the game the best way I can. Andres, what can you tell us about Ahmed Rosario as, as a player? What should we expect? No, yo lo que les puedo decir también es que bueno, es un atleta increíble. Man, he's an incredible athlete. Um, I, I'm sure you have seen all his skills in the field, but I can assure that he's also a great teammate and a great person. So um, you're for, up for a treat. He's a great player to watch. Where are you training this off season? Is, is there anything specific you want to work on after getting your first taste of the majors? Um, currently, I'm in Miami. This is where I've been training for my offseason, and, and I'm able to put in display my full normal offseason workout plan. Um, I don't I don't think I'm just focusing on one thing in particular, but I'm just you know, conscious to get a little stronger, get a couple extra pounds, um, but also while maintaining my defense, my hitting, my, my base running especially. So um, nothing new, it's just my normal offseason program. That's Andres Jimenez, who, along with Ahmed Rosario, bear watching this spring as they usher in a new era on the Indians infield. Now stay tuned. When we return, we'll switch gears and talk Hall of Fame with longtime Cleveland sports writer and Hall of Fame voter Paul Hoynes. That's next on the Cleveland Clinic Indians Radio Network. Welcome back to Tribe Talk. Jim Rosenhouse back with you as we join you for our hot stove shows throughout the offseason. As again, Tribe Talk presented by Progressive is a weekly year-round show. So it's great to have you with us talking baseball. And certainly one of the highlights of any offseason is the announcement of that year's class for Baseball's Hall of Fame in Cooperstown. And that will happen this coming Monday as the class of 2021 will be revealed. And this year there is a possibility that there will be no new additions to the Hall. As of last week, with 40% of the ballots from the Baseball Writers Association of America members revealed by independent ballot tracker Ryan Thibodeau, the top three contenders were Kurt Schilling, Barry Bonds, and Roger Clemens. All three were below the 75% threshold required to gain admission to Baseball's Hall of Fame. And all three are controversial candidates to be sure. Now, the tracking is not official, but it does give an idea on where things may be headed. And when we caught up with Paul Hoynes, longtime Indians beat reporter with the Cleveland, uh, Cleveland Plain Dealer and Cleveland.com and a Hall of Fame voter since 1993, he says making decisions on who's in and who's not has changed considerably over the years. 
<laughs> it sure is, Rosie. I mean, that was those were the innocent days. Uh, now you're kind of judge, jury, and executioner, and uh, I don't think anybody really signed up for uh, that when uh, you know when when you get your ten years in as a member of the, the BBWA and uh, are eligible to vote for the Hall of Fame. And of course, the I think the main area that that has been of concern in recent years has been those players who were alleged to have been involved with uh, steroid use and performance-enhancing drugs. Uh, How do you kind of manage that? Because so many of them are are at that point now where it's getting close to either getting in or being off the ballot, talking about Roger Clemens and Barry Bonds and players like that. Yeah, I I do not vote for those guys, Uh, Rosie. I, I, I never have. And, uh, I know, uh, you know, you know, it's hard. It's hard to uh, have a Hall of Fame without Clemens and Bonds. And you know, Clemens, probably one of the best, maybe the best pitcher, one of the best pitchers in history. And and Bonds certainly, what a seven-time MVP. But you know, I, those guys, you know, I, I I don't buy the argument that those guys were Hall of Famers before they started using, allegedly using, because. I mean, if you, okay, if you were that great, then why, why, why do it? You know, why start? I mean, you're already in and it just, it, it always drove me crazy. And, uh, 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 a guy like Manny Ramirez, you know, I, I, you know, I love Manny. I covered him, um, you know, all the way through his career in Cleveland, thought he was the best right-handed hitter I've ever seen, but that was a guy that tested at least positive twice. So, you know, he, you know, it's hard to even, you know, the other guys, you know, you really have no definitive proof. You know, they never, there was never a positive test because they weren't tested then. You know, I just, that that's, that's, you know, that's the way I, I look at it, uh, you know, and, and sometimes you just have to think. If it, if it looks like a duck and quacks like a duck, it's a duck, you know? <laughs> now, so you have that group. And yeah. then this year in particular, and, and in recent season, he's been on the ballot, but he's getting really close this year and may, in fact, get in Kurt Schilling. And, uh, you know, by all accounts, a, a great major league career, one of the, the really good postseason pitchers. Uh, but his political views and his views toward journalists – <laughs> tend to to make some people unhappy, so uh, to say the least. But uh, how do you look at that when when it's someone who's in that public eye who has done some things that might not be favorable? Yeah, you know, I'm, he is. I mean, it, it seems like Kurt Schilling has has gone out of his way just to just to uh, you know anger as many voters as possible, so he doesn't get in the Hall of Fame. This is Rosie. This guy had seventy percent of the vote last year. I mean, I think there's only been one player in, in the history of the Hall of Fame or a handful of players that have been reached that uh, threshold and not gotten into the Hall of Fame the next year. And, uh, you know, so, you know, it's questionable that if he gets in, but he's, you know, I mean, on the mound, he was hard to beat and off the mound, he seems to be his, his own worst enemy. But the way I, I looked at it, I, I have always I have always voted for him, and I voted for him again this year. I, I guess that goes back to maybe the Ty Cobb um, <laughs> parameter of, of look at you know you don't have to like the guy off the field and, and agree with with some of the things off the field, but maybe it's hard to deny what they do on the field. Yeah, I th- you know, I guess everything comes into play there. You know, there's a character clause in the uh, you know, criteria for voting for the Hall of Fame. 
But, you know, I think a guy's performance on the field should, you know, kind of dominate how you vote. I mean, influence heavily how you vote. But each guy is a case, case by case. I mean, Ty Cobb, if you read some biographies about him, he was not a nice man. And, I mean, I think he either, you know, there were, there were some, you know, I don't know if if I was voting then and and I knew knew about what I don't not know now about Ty Cobb. I'm not sure I'd vote for him, but but uh, you know obviously what he did on the field was was overwhelming and he was in the first cl- the the initial class in the Hall of Fame at what in 1936 or something like that. So yeah, I, I you know a Hall of Famer, but maybe not a Hall of Fame person. Long time Indian beat reporter. Paul Hoynes joining us. We're talking Hall of Fame and close to home. Indians fans, they loved Omar Vizquel, and uh, he was making some really good progress in what will now be his fourth year on the ballot. But uh, recently, an article in The Athletic alleging that there was uh, some domestic incidents uh, involving him. Uh, How do you think that might impact his advancement to getting closer to the hall, if not in the hall, either this year or in coming seasons. Well, I think it's definitely going to hurt him, Rosie. I mean, you know, Omar was at 52.6% last year. Uh, you know, he had kind of an open field this year. I thought, Even, you know, a lot of the newcomers, you know, there wasn't a uh, first ballot, you know, no doubt about it. Hall of Famer like uh, Jeter or, or Mariano Rivera. And I thought Omar could could have made a big jump to maybe 60, 65 percent of the vote. And the, uh, you know, the domestic violence uh, story that came out, I think that's that's going to hold them back. That's definitely, you know, has made some voters reconsider. I know, you know, some voters had cast their votes already before the story came out. And guys have taken, you know, a kind of wait and see look. Uh, you know, just from listening to other voters, uh, they, they want to see how this if this case goes to court or or, you know, what what the uh, final uh, verdict is. And uh, that could influence their votes, you know, going from, uh, you know, in 2022 and beyond. And but I thought Omar was on a great track. He was, you know, like you said, he was four fourth year in 52.6 percent of the vote. I thought he was I thought he was headed for Cooperstown. But. This uh, did not help his cause. All right. So uh, let's go through. And uh, I know there were some ballots where the, uh, voters said, no, I'm not I'm not going to vote for anybody this year. Nobody's worthy uh, for whatever reason. How about you? Uh, who do you have in this year? Yeah, I, I've got uh, I've got Burley, Helton, Andrew Jones, Jeff Kent, Scott Rowland, Schilling, Viscell. And uh, Billy Wagner, I I usually vote for ten guys, Rosie, but I, you know, I just couldn't, uh, I just didn't see it this year. I I'm I'm most I'm I you know I'm a believer in kind of a, a big haul or you know at least giving guys a chance to uh, stay on the ballot by getting five percent of the vote so he can reconsider his case their cases as the years go on. But, uh, you know, I, this is the first time in a long time that I that I only that I didn't vote for 10 guys. And that's that's the limit. 
Now, wait a minute. Nick Swisher was on there. You did not vote for Swish? <laughs> <laughs> I, voted, I voted for Swisher for enthusiasm. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? I would, we poke some fun at him, but um, he's on the ballot, which is certainly a, hey. a great accomplishment for any player who spent any time in the major leagues. Yeah, it is. It is. And I, you know, I hope players take that in the uh, spirit that it's given. You know, you've got to play 10 years in the big leagues. You go through uh, the Hall of Fame and, and the BBWA, you know, go through a, you know, a, you know, go through a process of, of naming the ballot every year. And, uh, you know, just to play 10 years in the big leagues is a big deal. Yeah, I thought it was interesting. You mentioned Mark Burley and uh, there's another pitcher on for the first time this year, Tim Hudson. Uh, both of them over 200 wins in their careers. Uh, could that, I mean, it doesn't guarantee someone gets in for sure, but it used to be 300 wins was the, I mean, that's automatic. You're in the Hall of Fame, but the way the game is going, it's going to be very difficult for a starting pitcher anymore to get to 300 wins in their career. It, does that give more validity maybe to, to getting over 200 victories as a major league pitcher now? Yeah, I think so, uh, Rosie. And, uh, you know, with Burley, with me, you know, we saw him so many times, you know, with the White Sox. I thought he was, you know, just a, a really underappreciated pitcher. Uh, what, he threw the threw the perfect game, threw a no-hitter. Uh, and that play, what about the play he made against the Indians when he, when he flipped the ball between his legs to get uh, Lou Marson at, fir- at first base at uh, – at, uh, at, uh, in Chicago, that that's still the greatest play I've ever seen by a pitcher. He was a gold glove waiting to happen and a highlight waiting to happen on a lot of days. Uh, really one of the fun pitchers. And, and Hoynze, he was someone you could make re- dinner reservations at an early hour when he was pitching because he was uh, about as quick as they come on the mound in, in terms of deliveries and things like that. Uh, Todd Helton, another one who uh, a lot of people are talking about, has a real good chance. And, and what do you think set him apart as far as being in the hall this time? Yeah, you know, I've been reading some stuff, uh, some stuff on Jay, with, by Jason Stark, and you know, of course, you know, you know, I was always of the opinion guys in, in Colorado had you know an unfair advantage, especially hitters, you know, because of the thin air and and the ball jumps and and uh, you know their their offensive statistics get uh, you know inflated, but you know, I guess you know it was also you know just uh, they they you know when when they were on the road, it, it seemed like they had such a tough time adjusting. And, and, uh, I think it, it was, uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't realize that, that there was a lot of physical things involved going from altitude to regular, uh, you know, to regular, to sea level ballparks. And, uh, and he still, uh, you know, Todd Helton still had good numbers on the road. So, you know, I, I've come around on him, I think. And, uh, so I, you know, I think, you know, I, I voted for him this year just because, you know, he played a long time, really an offensive force. And I, I started to appreciate maybe his road splits a little more. Well, it'll be interesting to see who gets in on this year's ballot. The Hall of Fame ceremony, if it goes on in Cooperstown this summer, will already feature Derek Cheater and Larry Walker from a year ago uh, because it was not held last year. So it'll it'll be a great event anyway. But, uh, boy, Wednesday would be odd if nobody gets in, in in a certain season. I know it's happened before, but uh, it still would be odd. Yeah, and especially Rosie. I mean, you look at the last, you know, four, five, six years. I mean, there have been great classes. And, you know, four, five, six guys have gotten in. And, you know, with the, uh, the Veterans Committee, you know, Ted Simmons is getting in too, uh, you know, 
you know, he was a scout for the Indians for a long time and a great catcher for St. Louis and, and, uh, and, uh, St. Louis and, and the Tigers and, you know, Milwaukee too. And, and, uh, and, uh, um, oh man, uh, Marvin, uh, Marvin Miller's getting in, you know, so a lot of baseball players should be happy that Marvin Miller's going into the hall of fame because he's made him a lot of money. Make him a lot of money. How ironic with a CBA coming due at the end of 2021. <laughs> You're not kidding. Oh my. <laughs> <laughs> he's still from wherever he is in the great beyond. He's still shaking, shaking, shaking it up, shaking those owners up. Mm-hmm. Well, listen, Hoinsey, uh, always fun to talk baseball with you. And uh, hopefully I'll, I'll see you at spring training. Who knows uh, at this point in time, but uh, hopefully we'll see you down there. And I know you take this very serious and we appreciate you coming on to talk about it. No problem, Rosie. So we'll see what happens on Monday, but at the very least, even if there is not a a class of 2021 per se, there will be a celebration in Cooperstown this year, COVID permitting, as last year's class of Derek Jeter and Larry Walker will finally be celebrating. Now, when we come back, I'll have some final thoughts on a, a tough week gone by in the world of baseball. Two legendary Hall of Famers, Don Sutton, And Hank Aaron passed away this week, and I'll have some personal memories of both when we return. That's after this break on the Cleveland Clinic Indians Radio Network. Me, 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 but also you. (laughs) The Pharaoh fast-forwards his favorite foreign film, Powder Donut. Okay, what's my line? Uh, The only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. Oh, man, that's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry, I'm going to need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous Walrus, the Bulbous Walrus. The Name Your Price tool, only from Progressive. The owl ran afoul of the comatose Coxswain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to Tribe Talk. Jim Rosenhouse back with you as we join you for our hot stove shows and another difficult week in the world of baseball and what has been a, a calendar year uh, really dating back to, to last winter of uh, just some sad days as some of the legends of the game have passed on. And this past week, Hall of Famers Don Sutton and Hank Aaron joined that list. First, some thoughts on Don Sutton. Uh, here's the nitty-gritty. 324 wins. That, that gets you into the hall, right? 300-plus wins. But durability was the key. Ready for this? 1966, Sutton broke in with the Dodgers at the age of 21. 1966. He slid right in pitched 225 innings that season. From that year on, and every year through 1986, 66 to 86, except for the strike-shortened 1981 season, Don Sutton pitched at least 200 innings. Just remarkable, the durability that he displayed. You talk about taking the ball every fifth day and getting deep into games, that is exactly what he did. And he parlayed that into a Hall of Fame playing career. And following his playing days, Sutton was an outstanding broadcaster for the Braves and Nationals. And although we didn't see them very often, those teams being in the American League uh, as a National League broadcaster, when we did see him, I can vouch one of the friendliest fellow broadcasters that you could meet. Hank Aaron, what can you say? As a young baseball fan growing up in the 70s, when uh, we would talk on <laughs> at recess and, and you talk with your buddies in, in second, third, fourth grade, Hank Aaron and Willie Mays, those were the two guys you argued about as uh, who would go down as the best player 
in baseball history. And uh, boy, you could make a great case for either one. Um, distinctly remember April the 8th, 1974, Hank Aaron sitting on 714 with Babe Ruth for career home run supremacy. The Braves and Dodgers were the featured game on Monday Night Baseball, and that was a big deal back then as uh, very few games were shown nationally, and uh, that was the Monday Night Game of the Week. So as a 10-year-old baseball fan, you needed special permission to stay up late. And Hammer and Hank, he came through in his second plate appearance of the night, breaking Babe Ruth's legendary home run record by crushing number 715. And uh, honestly, it, it took a lot of years later to gain a full appreciation of what his historic home run record would mean when you, you finally learn the full scope of the challenges that he faced on a daily basis, uh, just coming up at a time when there were racial divides in our country and uh, the amount of, of people who didn't want to see him succeed. And somehow he handled it all with grace and professionalism, and uh, that'll be a lasting memory to be sure. For Hank Aaron. So sad news this week. Hank Aaron and Don Sutton passing away earlier this week. That's going to do it for this week's edition of Tribe Talk. Thanks so much for tuning in, and uh, we hope you can join us again next week. Thanks to Brian Matze for all of his help on this week's show, as well as Anthony Alford back at our network studios. Until next week, this is Jim Rosenhouse reminding you that you've been listening to Tribe Talk, presented by Progressive on the Cleveland Clinic Indians Radio Network. on the Cleveland Indians Radio Network has been brought to you by Progressive, helping Indians fans save hundreds on car insurance.